My man. <laughs> My boy. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Q&A. For our first question, Dylan Bruxfort asks what our favorite episode of Star Wars Visions Volume 2 was and if animation style or story matters more to us. So I've been talking quite a bit about Visions on the channel. I did a full review for the season. I'm doing them episode by episode now, but I know you really loved Volume 2, so I, I wanted to make sure you had a chance to voice your opinion as well. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> I, I liked it so much. Uh, I enjoyed volume one i thought it was interesting and cool but like going into volume one i didn't really know what to expect i don't think anyone really knew what to expect so going into volume two knowing that all the stories were going to be vastly different and the animation styles were going to be different and like not worrying about canon or seeing familiar characters i i, f I feel like i was better prepared to take in everything in volume two and i i I liked a lot of them more than anything from volume one. I, I, I think that I overall liked the variety. Uh, I, I do think I liked it a little more than volume one. And also just, we aren't big anime people. We don't watch a lot of anime. So uh, the fact that we still had journey to the dark head and the pit in volume two, uh, that was n nice that they, they still had anime in there, but it, I really loved getting to see other animation styles and uh, other cultures have their impact on Star Wars. Yeah, I, I love seeing the cultural aspect of, of taking Star Wars and putting their own spin on it and just making it very, very unique. Uh, yeah, and I guess we should, before we get into like our favorite uh, shorts, the, there will probably be spoilers ahead if you haven't seen these yet and uh, you want to avoid knowing anything about them. Yeah. So as far as my favorite shorts for volume two, I think it's a tie between Screecher's Reach and In the Stars. Is it Into the Stars or In the in Stars? In the Stars, yeah. In the Stars. Uh, those were the two that I think affected me the most. Um, I remember crying and like trying to cover up the fact that I was crying at the end of In the Stars. Um, and Screecher's Reach was kind of spooky. That's, uh, and that's we, my we vibe. Kind of have a, a running joke between us and our friends that anytime a movie makes us cry or a show or something, we're like sitting there wiping tears away from ours. Like, that was dumb. This that, didn't affect me at all. That was super dumb. It was dumb. <laughs> and that's, I looked over and Molly at the end of the stars was like, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for, for Screecher's Reach, it, it just like took a turn that I was not expecting. It, it had spooky elements. It was funny. I liked the style, but the twist in the end of it being like a dark side uh, Sith character to be the one that had been speaking to the main character, it was it was a cool twist. Well, even that, like, I didn't know what the, the little amulet doll was holding on to the whole time was. Like, I thought it was maybe a locket from her mother or something. And she's like, I'm I have your strength and I'm going to use that to press forward and so I had no idea it was a communicator, and when it lit up red with that voice, you just immediately know, like, oh, oh no, this is bad. <laughs> this is upsetting. Like you're, you're trained as Star Wars fans for to a root for these kids mm -hmm. to as they're looking into the stars, wishing for something more. You're like, yeah, this is Luke Skywalker, and their doll's gonna find her uh, Obi Wan Kenobi and go off and be happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the fact that it was not that uh, was so cool. 
you you keep thinking, you know, she stays behind in the cave and you keep thinking like she wants to reach out to this poor woman and like try to help her and she kills her and takes the lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like she's been lied to. She's going into the cave with the understanding that it it's all a test of the mind. Like they they talked to the cartoon saloon. The creators talked about the inspiration of the Dagobah cave. And so that is a test of the mind. And so that's what Dahl is expecting. And then to be like, oh, no, this is real. I can get killed here. The Sith mother lied to me. But then she twists it all into like, well, of course it was a test of your mind. Sure, there was physical danger, but really you had to find your true strength and power and your ability to take another life. And like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> it was dark. Yeah, which I just had the second that they're in the cave and like you see the the ghost supposedly come up behind Dahl. I was like, I had chills and then they did not go away the rest of the short. Mm -hmm. That was also the one that I think I had the highest hopes for. For for Visions Volume 1, uh, I was unfamiliar with most of the studios. So I was going in and I was trying to watch something from every studio just to kind of get a sense of their vibe. The same was true this time around. I did not know most of the studios. Uh, I knew Ardman. I had heard of Cartoon Saloon, but I hadn't seen anything by them. Wolfwalkers happened to be on the plane uh, as we were flying out to Star Wars Celebration. So, so I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. And then on the plane, I was like, this is dumb. This is a dumb movie. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch that. It's really good. It was really good. So I'm glad that Screechers Reach lived up to the hype I had in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the second part of the question, in these, it, both volumes of Star Wars Visions, is it the story or is it the animation style that um, impacts you most or matters more to you? Um. It's, it's funny because I would normally say story, but after having seen volume one and volume two now, I think the variety and the, the different types of animation styles in volume two is what makes it so special for me. But like story definitely counts too. Like that's yeah. a lot of it. But because I liked volume two so much more, that makes me think maybe the animation made it mm. better for me. I do think story matters more to me, and the the ones that really left an impact on me are the ones that had stories that surprised me. And I guess I'll say, like, The Ninth Jedi, that one didn't feel as crazy and stylistic as some of the other animation styles. Uh, like, the duel really stands out visually. So does Sith in Volume 2. The Ninth Jedi, I was like, this is basically what i was expecting animation wise but the story still really hooked me so yeah i do think story is probably more important for me but then stuff like screechers reach they use the animation style to enhance the story and the fact that the ghost becomes so terrifying and is like this different animation style uh when when the ghost is in the dark but then when you can see her she's like a normal person i i, I think that they're they're a marriage obviously mm -hmm. yeah and i will say this too there's something to say about how you watch these shorts because for volume one we plowed through all of them in one sitting and by the end of it i was like mentally exhausted i felt like i couldn't remember the stories of a lot of them and they all kind of jumbled together in my head so for volume two we watched like 
a couple at a time. I think we did three, three, and three. Yeah. So that helped so much more to, to be able to digest them a little bit easier, to, to break it up a little bit. And, you know, if we weren't content creators, I would even say I would have preferred to just watch one at a time yeah. to really be able to sit with the story uh, and figure out, like, how did that make me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, it's wild because you look at the shorts and and for volume one, we were like, oh, it's like two hours. It It's about it's like watching a movie. So we'll just sit down and watch them. But you don't think that your mind is going to have to shift gears nine different times. Mm-hmm. It's not like watching a movie. It is like these are nine separate stories that deserve your attention. And uh, so, yeah, breaking it up was good for us this time around. It keeps the whiplash at bay from <laughs> yeah, from yeah. the different storytelling to the different animation styles. Yeah, I think it, it definitely helped me appreciate everything more. Mm-hmm. Samuel Masson and Derek Horkel want to know if there will be more Star Wars visions, if they could ever adapt legend stories or continue existing stories. I absolutely think there will be more visions. I think there were even rumors floating around already that... Volume three is in the works. That wouldn't surprise me. I think probably in another year and a half, two years, we will see volume three. Yeah. I mean, if Celebration is going to Japan, I would <laughs> I would hope to see some, That's true. some big new animation announcements. And there's something that uh, James Waugh said at the Visions panel in 2021. I'm 22. 22. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> what are years anymore? It was last year's Celebration. Uh, they were talking about volume two and he was like, before I get into this, I just want everyone to know that anime and Star Wars, like they are alive and well and they have a bright future together. Mm -hmm. And he didn't really elaborate on that. And then he was like, but volume two is going to be more than just anime. So whether or not volume three is back to being all anime or if they have other projects in mind, the 10th Jedi, for example. I don't know. Mm. Like, I, I do think that there is a chance for some of these studios to continue their stories. And there are definitely some that I was like, I would like to know next. Or what happens next? Yeah. The Screechers Reach, the Spy Dancer. Those are two that I was like, and now what? Like, yeah. keep, keep going. <laughs> I do. I, I appreciate that these are short, little compact storytelling uh, vessels, but... Yeah, the ninth Jedi. Let's let's get a sequel to that. Screechers Reach. Spy Dancer was definitely another one that, as soon as it was over, we were like, "More, please. We want to finish." Like, I want a full length movie of that Spy Dancer story. That was one that surprised me as well. That was the one that I was watching it because uh, first, where I was like, the first five, I was like, I'm fully into these, and watching that one, I was like, this one is nice. It hasn't really grabbed me oh my god it's her son like mm-hmm. <laughs> then I, I it just switched gears for me and i was very into it yeah so yeah i i do think there's a chance for them to continue existing stories at least i i hope so because i think that would be really cool um could they adapt legends stories i think so i mean we have characters in some of these that we know i mean wedge was a big one in uh, the I Am Your Mother short. So there is room, I think, to adapt stories from legends in in these. And I think that would be honestly like a a cool and fun way to bring back some of the legend stories without worrying about 
what people are going to think about how it fits into canon, you mm-hmm. know? It would be interesting to see if maybe volume three could be that. Like, if each volume has a different focus and they're like, let's adapt some stuff. Right now, I don't think that's what they're going to do. I believe the Visions brand is more about letting other cultures show their version of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, That sounds... I've been watching the filmmaker focus, like, behind-the-scenes documentaries on Disney+. And just about all of them are talking about how Lucasfilm came with them and they were like, here's what we want you to do. Make a Star Wars story that is your culture. Like, the the Spy Dancer is very heavily French. The Bandits of Golok, obviously very Indian. And that's what they said. They were like, we want to make a story that is firmly Star Wars and also firmly Indian at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why so many aspects of that one are like, yeah, the Stormtroopers look like your normal Stormtroopers, the Purge Troopers. The Inquisitor is uh, based off an indian mythological character which mm-hmm. i think is awesome uh but for the most part i'm like yeah this could just be golak exists in the outer rim somewhere in the star wars canon i could see that yeah and i think this is a good way for uh different animation companies to kind of slowly catch up to star wars storytelling so this wouldn't be legends exactly but we just saw an inquisitor in one of these shorts and those were around, you know, in Star Wars Rebels, but we've been seeing them more and more and more in different uh, stories, and we saw them on screen finally in Obi-Wan. But stuff like the High Republic, like once the Acolyte Mm. is out, that is going to really solidify what that time period is like, and that's going to give the rest of the world time to catch up and realize what that time period is like and so then we could see some high republic elements in future visions if that really speaks to uh one certain animation studio and they're like yeah i want to like put those white robes in my story uh yeah i I totally think that's possible harrison edgar asks which new visions short we would want a tie-in novel or comic for i feel like we've kind of already touched on this a bunch well i was kind of trying to think of which short would support it so uh, we did get a tie-in comic, Ronin, and uh, there was a Visions comic that was also about the Ronin. So both of the tie-in uh, material outside of Visions had to do with the duel, um, which m- makes sense. I mean, that was like just so visually stunning mm-hmm. and really stood out. It, it seemed like that's the one they were going to highlight. So part of me is like, Maybe they would do that with the Sith again, because also just visually stunning. Oh, stunning. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know that I would choose that one. I I feel like a lot of these would, would do well with supporting stories in, in books or comics. Um, I think the I Am Your Mother short would be a good place to do like a an adventures style comic for, mm-hmm. for younger uh, ages or or like a young reader book tie-in novel for that story specifically i think that would be a really great one because the the ronin tie-in stuff was like a more adult yeah storytelling but i could see a, with a story like i am your mother having more like kids tie-in novels i think potential. that would be cute just having a star wars adventures uh or hyperspace adventures comic that they're doing now have one be about uh 
those characters because I think the the villains of that one are so they're not like evil, but they're annoying Mm -hmm. like that's the kind of villain you want for a kid's comic yeah and kids would understand (laughs) the idea of like the embarrassment that their parents might cause them and but then by the end you know you you see them and their relationship get a little bit better and you see them bond over the the period of the short so i think that would just be good lessons to teach kids i think the short that could support a full-on novel is probably Journey to the Darkhead. That I mean, like, I would want the Spy Dancer or Screechers Reach. Those are the stories that I want to know what happens next. But I don't know. There was something about the world building of Journey to the Darkhead with uh, the two characters, Tool and Ara, who are like having a crisis of faith and they're kind of butting heads with one another. Their verbal sparring was fun. So just the interactions between those two characters, I'm like, I I would see more of that Mm -hmm. and learn more about, I think Dolgarak was her planet's name with the two statues. Obviously, Tool has some long history with the Sith Lord. I think Bishan, a lot of names in that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I, I think that that one is probably the one I would choose. Now a word from our sponsor, Babbel. Molly and I recently traveled to London for Star Wars Celebration, and it's really given us the itch to see more of Europe. If you have an upcoming summer trip abroad, my go-to travel hack is Babbel. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or embarking on your first adventure, communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture. That's where Babbel comes in. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy, bite-sized language lessons, there's still time to learn a new language before you reach your destination. I took Spanish in high school and college, and completing the short lessons on Babbel has been a great way to refresh my understanding of the language again. You only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson, so you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks. The lessons are expertly crafted around real life, so you can learn to have practical conversations. And there are a ton of ways to learn with Babbel. Beyond lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and more. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Shriwook and Hutties aren't options yet, but you can choose from 14 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash Star Wars. That's babbel.com slash Star Wars for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Sooner Thrawn wants to know which young Jedi adventures character would be the most likely to appear in a later show. My man. <laughs> My boy. Little nubs. Little nubs. So soon to be big nubs. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someday. We we did uh we talked about asking this exact question more as a joke, but when we interviewed uh James Waugh and and the other kind of producers the, yeah. of, of the show, we were like, So we're getting the accolade, we're getting live action High Republic. Will nubs be there? That's uh, well, I first I asked how long does a Pooba like what's their lifespan like? Uh, and they immediately knew where I was going with this. And I was like, okay, we got, we're getting a live action for Nestor Rowe. Could we see a live action adult nubs in the acolyte? Like how far down the line are we looking? And James Waugh actually, (laughs) I don't know if he was just playing along with our joke, but he said that he's planted that bug in Leslie Headland's ear. (laughs) And they were talking about how Pooba, when they grow up, they get to be very big. So I was like, all right, we... We had old Yoda, and then we went backwards to baby Yoda. Now mm-hmm. we need to 
do the opposite. Let's get baby nubs, and then later on, let's get grizzled nubs. Grizzled, like, just war veteran yeah. nubs. He's been through a lot. He's, He's he basically lot. just looks like a teddy bear that a child has had for their entire lives. <laughs> He's missing an eye. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no. Patches of fur have come off of him. <laughs> but he's still he's still adorable. Yeah. He's just been well loved. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any of the characters I I would love to see in another story somewhere, but Nubs has just taken the world by storm. I think we can all agree on that. The fact that Molly today found adult Nubs clothing cuz this on... is a this is a boy's extra large, I believe you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, okay, so I got this on May the 4th at the Shop Disney store online. They were having a big May 4th sale, and the only nubs things on that sale were like the, the plushie, which I did get, and, and this kid's shirt. But now on heruniverse.com, there are adult nubs shirts. So so the fact that they make adult them. merchandise for nubs, like, they know. <laughs> they know. They know what they've done. <laughs> so I, I really do think that any of the characters could show up, uh, it, like especially the the three main ones or Nash. So something else they said in that interview, which I was not expecting to hear, is that there will be familiar High Republic characters in the Young Jedi Adventures mm. eventually. It's not in the first seven episodes, and I don't know when the next batch releases. Mm-hmm. But they were like, it makes sense. This is in the plans. I don't know if it's going to be in phase one or phase two what part of the timeline it is but if that's true then the opposite can also be true and i kind of think that we're gonna in phase three see more connectivity to star wars jedi survivor the young jedi adventures maybe i forget the wookiee's name from the acolyte but it would make sense that we could see a younger version of that character mm-hmm. in the books that now that they know what's coming down the pipeline outside of the books and comics they can make reference to Tantalor, Dagon Gera, Kybright Star, and so on. Yeah. Spider-Man of Earth 1218 and or Mappa ask if the writer's strike will affect any Star Wars projects and if we should be concerned about Andor Season 2. I think it probably will affect some Star Wars projects in, in a way. I'll get into that in a minute. But first, I wanted to say, like, we're not super knowledgeable about the the writer's strike, everything that's happening. I don't want to pretend like we're experts here. We have a lot of friends who are, though. <laughs> yeah, it, we have friends that are in the industry and have been talking to us about it. Uh, I just don't want to pretend like we're going to shed light on this as if we're experts. Uh, Ken, Jos- Ken Knapsack, Joseph Scrimshaw, Jennifer Landa, they had a great discussion on the Four Center podcast uh, about all of this and kind of what it means. So I was going to point people in that direction. Mm -hmm. They're far more knowledgeable. Uh, They live in Hollywood. They've been in the industry a lot longer. They work in the industry and know how it works. Whereas we're in Atlanta and we don't. (laughs) We just have a lot of cool friends. Yeah. Marvel shoots here a lot. That's about, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's it's as close to the industry as I get. Mm. But I, I, I think and, and hope that the biggest impact we're going to feel is just delays yeah. in projects. I, and I think that is likely, unfortunately. You know, it, it sucks to know that, but if you do any sort of research about why they are striking, you'll, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll understand. Oh, yeah, fully in support of the strike and the yeah. WGA. Uh, it's like, you know, obviously I don't want delays in my Star Wars projects, but... 
I would rather that happen than uh, Disney just press on making stuff without writers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't want them to just churn out stuff that hasn't been properly written at all. Like, yeah, like if we start getting stories told by AI, I would be very sad and disappointed. It's, I mean, we, I forget when the last writer strike was, like 09 or so. And like, I remember shows that I liked that just like kept on going. And I was like, oh man, you really, you feel it. Mm, Yeah, like it should have ended by now or Just, I remember being really psyched for the show Heroes (laughs) after season one and season two was not good. Mm-hmm. So that that's I I want the w, WGA to have their strike. I want them to get a result that they are happy about. Mm-hmm. And if that just delays projects, that's fine with me. I, and I think that even stuff that what Skeleton Crew, that's done shooting, but it might not come out this year. I think that Disney just might spread out their schedule a little more so that stuff is still coming out kind of consistently yeah and then when the strike is over when uh the whole thing is resolved then stuff will go back into production there was someone that just talked about they had been cast as one of the pirates in skeleton crew and he said in an interview like november december for when that show was going to be releasing but that's so close to next year that it's on, it's just like on the edge of mm-hmm. possibly being pushed which is unfortunate, but you know that with when it comes down to a strike like this happening, it's like there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, I mean, like I I would rather support the people who make the stuff that I love, so that they can continue to do that and mm-hmm. feel comfortable and feel financially secure yeah. and like they're getting like, what they deserve. Maybe get health insurance. That would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, and so I don't fully know what they do and don't get. I've read several threads about like residuals and stuff, and it, it's like, yeah, that doesn't seem fair at all. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just like the the money that the executive level people are getting is just insane amounts of money, more money than they would ever know what to do with, and then the writers are getting garbage yeah, money. Yeah, the people who actually make it. Yeah. And, and from what I've read, uh, a lot of this is about not so much the current batch of writers but they want to secure all of these futures for the next generation of writers and and i believe that's even what the 2009 strike was about and there was a big strike before that where they're always working to make sure that future creators right have the support they need yeah there's, and, there's, and that's a very star wars thing there's so many so many stories and like movies and tv of like someone wanting to go to school uh, or college and and study writing uh, or study something in the arts and you know it, it'll be like well there's no money to be made in that and that is like hindering the creativity of of the new generation that is, that's going to be the the people that are going to be telling stories uh in the next 50 to 100 years so like we don't want to do that we want to encourage that agreed and hope that they get paid more on to YouTube questions, Matthew Kelly wants to know if the Imperial Remnant could attack Coruscant in The Mandalorian, forcing the New Republic to Hosnian Prime. So <laughs> there's nothing in The Mandalorian that says that Coruscant is currently the New Republic capital. 
So I think that it's possible the Hosnian prime capital is already happening. Or actually, I think someone pointed out to me in our comments uh, during The Mandalorian coming out, I believe they said Shandrilla was currently the capital back in season two. So Coruscant is obviously always going to be important to whatever the government is. Mm -hmm. But I think that it still is going to be moving around for the New Republic. That said, I do think Coruscant could fall under attack because that was a big part of Thrawn's plan in the original trilogy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I think the amount of Coruscant that <laughs> we've seen—the original Thrawn trilogy. Thrawn trilogy. There's so many different trilogies to talk about. <laughs> yeah, for for as much as we've seen Coruscant, I think it it might be imminent that that something like that is going to happen. But I think you're right. I think. I don't know that that would be something that would force the the new republic to to move to Hosnian Prime. I think they're probably already there. Yeah, and I I just think that it makes sense to go back to Coruscant on the big screen, where it, it sounds like the plan was to go back to Coruscant in Episode Nine originally, mm-hmm. and then things got shifted around uh, after Colin Trevorrow was fired. So then they were like, okay, we've been saving Coruscant for the big screen, and now it's not happening. And so okay, we'll put it in Andor, we'll put it in the Mandalorian. But to me, it makes sense to see it in that movie. Mm-hmm. And Thrawn coming in, making his way from the Outer Rim to the Galactic Core, shows him to be a real threat. Mm-hmm. The rest of our questions this week are going to be coming from Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So there might be some spoilers. Maybe there's spoilers for me and I will get up and leave. Who knows? I haven't read these yet. So <laughs> spoiler warning for Survivor. Daniel Daniel asks if the Bedlam Raiders are descendants of the Nile. And that's something that I pointed out to you as I was playing the game and you were watching and I was just wandering around Kobo, is that we have these High Republic connections. We know that the Nile did come to Kobo and Tantalor at one point. And the Bedlam Raiders symbol Mm. is awfully similar to the Niles. It sure is. So I think there's something to that theory just the fact that they are they're raiders the nile were marauders the the only piece of the puzzle i don't quite think fits is ravis because it seems like dagon knew ravis from before the nile but it could be that i don't know a group of nile stayed on kobo and ravis at some point was like i'm just gonna take control of you Mm -hmm. or he could have been in charge of the bedlam raiders this whole time it's it's currently unclear but and I, I'll I'll try to keep this vague. Like, there is a reason that their symbol looks like that in the game, which kind of made me think, hmm, probably not Nile. But mm. still, it is this weird connection that I'm like, it could be, it could, I think there's room for it. Like we were talking about earlier, maybe phase three of the High Republic will mention the Bedlam Raiders, and maybe they'll ally themselves with the Nile at some point in the books like that'd be interesting yeah i think this is just one of those things that it just makes sense that they would be somehow formally inspired by or related to the nile i mean they're like they're pirates right space pirates yeah the theory makes sense i'm on the fence about it i'm like right now it can go either way Mm -hmm. where if they told me yeah they were definitely descendants of the nile i'm like got it makes sense but if they weren't if they're just 
no, they're just a bunch of pirates from this place called Bedlam. Like, okay. They're like, actually, that's a misconception. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Way back in the High Republic era, they got into this big disagreement over copyright and their logos. They're like, no, we want the strikey looking thing and uh-huh. like well we were doing it first and right. like well ours looks like a triangle and yours is a circle and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just an unfortunate uh similarity <laughs> fernando moncada asks if tantalor has anything to do with the hidden lasat planet lyrasan i don't think so like that was just in star wars rebels uh we take zeb and a few other Lasat back to their mysterious home world. It's very Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Where they're like, only a few people know how to get there. It's like, oh, I thought it was a legend. No, it's real. And within one episode, they find it mystically. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah. I-, I think that they are similar in their uh, archetypes, but no, I don't think Tantalor is Lyrasan. Uh, th- there are a lot of people, a lot of theories going out or surrounding Tantalor. And right now, I think Tantalor is just Tantalor. I don't think it's Lyrason or Planet X or <laughs> these other things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, it's one of those things where if a hidden planet like this, if one exists, several others probably exist too. And it just depends on if you can find it. Mm-hmm. Because there's always like some weird thing where it's hard to find for whatever reason. So I... I don't think they're the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the galaxy is a big place, and it's going to be hard to find all the planets, especially if there's abyss, abysses blocking the path. Abyssi? Abysses? I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Like, even Kessel is kind (laughs) of a difficult-to-reach planet until they figured out how to get through uh, the Kessel Run. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now, Tantalor is hard to get to. But with the compass, they're going to find a way to make that journey safe and easy. Hopefully the Empire doesn't find that out too, but... (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Molly's going to leave for this one because it's a little more spoilery. Last question. Bye. (laughs) Brady Phillips wants to know if Kata is Force-sensitive. Yeah, I kind of think so. I, I feel like that makes the most sense. I honestly don't remember if there was anything in the game that said she definitely was or wasn't. But the idea that now Cal and Marin have kind of adopted this girl, the idea that they would have to raise her not just as part of their family, but also as like the next generation of force user while force users are being hunted, like that makes sense to me. It also makes sense as to why Bode would be so desperate to get her to Tantalor, even if like his plan was to just stay there, just the two of them alone. But he said that that was worth it for him if that meant she was going to be safe. So I think maybe there is uh, the, quote, threat of her being Force-sensitive and the extra level of danger that they have to keep her safe while also teaching her, not to mention her legacy where her father wound up uh, on the dark side of the force and Cal is currently struggling with that himself. So I think making her force sensitive only raises the stakes and makes the story more difficult in a good way. So I think she probably is force sensitive. Now that I've said all that, someone in the comments is going to be like, yeah, there's a line where if you talk to her, she's like, look, I can move that ball with my mind. And like <laughs> they, they make it blatantly obvious and I just haven't seen it yet. But that's what I think. Welcome back. Thanks. (laughs) 
Well, now that you're here. Can't wait to play the game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost done. Just waiting. I'm almost done with my Grandmaster playthrough. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was hard. Ravis was hard. I know. Hmm. <laughs> Well, now that you're back, that's all the time we have today for <laughs> questions. If you want to leave a question for next week's video, just put it in the comments below or sign up for Patreon to join our weekly Q&A discussion. If you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And as always, thanks for watching, and may the Force be with you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.